This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. friends and welcome back. Well, it's been a little while since I've recorded an episode for this podcast. I think apologies are probably in order. I have purposefully avoided a lot of personal comments as I've recorded these episodes, but there are a few things that I'd like to share, at least a couple of things that might give you a little bit of insight into why there's been a delay between episodes over the last year or so. As I record this, the military situation in Ukraine continues. There is active fighting there, and millions of people have been displaced and affected in a variety of ways. Our family among them, though certainly not to the extent that many millions of people have had to flee their homes, don't know if they'll ever see home again. As I record this, I'm sitting in our flat in St. Petersburg, Russia, having returned here recently after a few months in the United States. In the past several months, I've been involved in helping quite a few families relocate to the United States. And we ourselves have been under a variety of different kinds of pressures. The circumstances have been difficult in different ways. And one thing that I've learned is in times like this, there is so much going on that it pushes out some of what had been normal life There's just not enough room anymore for it. And I found myself wanting to record and having ideas. I have a long list of episodes that I want to put together, but just haven't really had the capacity for it. And I've often shared on this podcast this prayer, Lord, help me go through this well as a Christian so that I can help others who go through something similar later. I've been praying that prayer a lot over the past year in particular, And so one thing that I want to share with you now is what I've been learning. When you're going through a traumatic situation or a situation that is much more complicated or intrudes on your daily flow of life, it's okay to realize that that will push out some of the things that you've been involved in. It'll take up more of your mind. It'll take up more of your spiritual life. Emotional life uh, can fluctuate pretty significantly. And we just got to realize that when we're in hard times, when we're going through a very difficult time, that's going to affect things. And we have to let go. We just have to let go. That said, I think I've probably dropped the ball and haven't been as, um, as good a steward as I ought to have been over these past few months. And my hope is that I'll continue on sharing some of the things that the Lord has put on my heart. And one thing that I do want to share is something that I read today as I was reading the Bible, and it is very much where I find myself these days. As I've traveled around in quite a few different countries in Europe and throughout the United States, there's a sense of unease right now in the world. I spoke with the pastor of our church here in Russia yesterday, and he said many people in the congregation are unsure of what's coming next. And it's true. We do live in a time that is very unsure. There's fighting going on, and at some point that fighting will stop. But what the end looks like, no one knows. And what follows that, no one knows. And there are lots of different thoughts about it. 
what it could look like or what the reasons are for getting us where we are. And today I was reading in Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11. And what the Lord said to Isaiah is something that he's been saying to me. And I want to share it with you and encourage you with it. Starting in verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 8. Jehovah spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people, this people being the nation of Israel. That's verse 11. And let's just underscore what Isaiah says. This is a warning not to follow the way of the world, not to follow the way of people who are not walking with God. And here's what Jehovah said to Isaiah. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. All right? That's the way of people that don't walk with God and don't know God. They have conspiracy theories. They call things conspiracies. They see dark, hidden forces. And they're afraid of those forces. And they dread the working out of those forces in the world. And starting in verse 13, this is what the Lord said to Isaiah, Jehovah Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Boy, there's a lot of comfort here. God is saying that People of this world fear these dark forces. They dread the outworking of these conspiracies that are happening in the globe. And God is saying, don't fear them. You regard me as holy, holy being set apart and above it all. And God says that I'm the one you're to fear. You're supposed to dread me, which, of course, Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that have no other power, but fear the one who does have the power to kill the body, and also to destroy the spirit in hell. So we're to fear the Lord, and he will be a sanctuary. In a future episode, maybe a few down the road here, I will share a talk that Olga, my wife, gave at a church a few weeks ago about fear, about being afraid, but also fearing God. So when we fear God in the right way, when we regard him as holy, And when we understand that he has this power to bring real ruin on us, then he will be a sanctuary. Amen. When we walk in those understandings of the character of God and the power of God and the authority of God, then he is a safe place. But for people that don't walk in that, he's going to be a stumbling block. He'll be a stone, a rock that makes people fall, which is exactly the role that Jesus had. Those who would not believe in Jesus, put their trust in him, receive from him all that he promised, then they stumble and they fall and they're broken. Okay, well, let me just read this one more time without my comments on it. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11. Jehovah spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. 
Jehovah Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Continuing on now, just a little bit further. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Amen. How to avoid stumbling, falling, being broken, being captured, enslaved? It's to fear the Lord. Regard Him as holy. Recognize His power and His authority and submit to it. And then He will be a safe place, a sanctuary, a rock, and a refuge. Amen. Okay, so I'll perhaps share other thoughts about these things in the future. Right now, I want to share something with you that I spoke about a few weeks ago when I was in the United States at a global impact conference. I was the keynote speaker at a conference at St. James Methodist Church in Athens, Georgia. And a global impact conference is sort of like a missions conference. It's an opportunity for a local congregation to listen to what God is saying about how he wants to use that congregation to expand his kingdom locally, in the community, and also internationally. And a big part of this conference or this celebration is learning about what God is doing locally and internationally, and then praying about how the Lord wants us to participate in what he's doing. So at these celebrations, Global Impact Celebrations, Missionaries from the community and from the United States and from international ministries will come and share what they're doing, but their purpose is not to raise money for their own ministries. Their purpose is to tell the local congregation what God is doing. Now, there might be a partnership that results from this sharing and the relationships that are built, but the focus is for the local congregation to pray and hear what God is saying and then to make a faith promise. Each individual would make a faith promise. And I'll just read what the leaders of the Global Impact Celebration say a faith promise is. A faith promise is one way of raising funds for global outreach. Rather than waiting to respond to individual appeals, believers ask the Lord how much they should give to missions over the next year. When I say missions and when they say global, we mean missions, anything that's sort of outside of the walls of the church. So it is global, but that includes what's local. So uh, continuing on, then they commit to that annual amount as a faith promise. And then they have a question here. How do I determine what amount my faith promise should be? That's a question that people would ask when they go to a global impact celebration. And I really like the approach that they have to this here the leadership of these meetings, the answer to how a person determines what amount they would give. First, pray for God's leading in the amount that you should give. And second, be obedient to his leading. I really like this perspective. It's a faith promise because people will pray and say, Lord, how much would you like me to give this coming year towards the work of the church? the mission work of the church. And then when they hear the Lord give them an amount, 
then they are obedient and they make a promise. And very often people will hear an amount that is way beyond the ability that they think they have to give, and God will bring miraculous provision over the coming 12 months. So I was asked to be the keynote speaker at this Global Impact Celebration, and I focused on a biblical perspective on giving, which is uh, one part of a broader teaching that I've done on a biblical perspective on money. So if you've listened to previous episodes, you've heard me talk on this topic before. But I also have a few new things to add, and I hope that you'll be encouraged. Everything that we do, every teaching that I have, every action that we take should be a matter of discipleship. First of all, I need to be obedient to how the Lord is leading me, not do what I think might please him, but listen for his voice and then be obedient to what he says. That's discipleship. Learn what he has for me and then actively be engaged in the things that he gives me to do. But also people who listen. In this case, the people that were attending the Global Impact Celebration at the church when I spoke, but now it also includes you. The purpose of what I share is to encourage you to do the work that God has for you, to abide in him, to love him. Remember, somebody asked Jesus, what is the work that God requires of us? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Our work is to put a living faith in a living God and then let him do what he's going to do through us to allow him not only to lead us, but also to empower us and give us even the desire to do his will. So that's what I hope we come away with from listening to what I'm about to share. And I hope it won't take quite so long to come to the next episode. So now I'll hand it over to myself as I spoke at the Global Impact Celebration. Before I came up here, Bill leaned over to pray for me and uh, prayed the prayer that is very appropriate, that God may have his way and that anything that I've prepared to speak on He has every right to tell me not to say it and maybe give me something different to say. As Bill was praying for me, something came on my heart, and this is not part of my prepared notes, but it is something I feel like I should share. And as we were praying, I had a very strong sense come over me that there is somebody here, and it may be more than one person, who is facing a situation where you are fearful. And I want to communicate to you that the Lord is saying, don't be afraid, fear not. In God's perspective, fear isn't an emotion that dominates us. Human beings think that when we're afraid, it's something that comes over us over which we have no control. But if Jesus says, fear not, that's a commandment. And God will command things that are of the will, things that we can choose. That means to him, fear is not an emotion that's out of our control. Fear is of the will. There is an emotional part of it, but it's something we can choose. But we have to have a good reason for choosing it, and the word of the Lord is, fear not, for I am with you. That's the the root of fearlessness, is the presence of God, his promise that he is with you. So whoever here is facing 
that fear, I encourage you with that. Realize that the Lord is calling you to it, and He's going to give you the grace to actually go through the circumstances fearlessly. Elizabeth Elliot said, the secret is Christ in you, not you in different circumstances. And so I can't promise that your circumstances will change, but boy, that flow of life will come as we surrender and let go. All right, so I have been asked to be the keynote speaker. And I honestly had to say, well, what is a keynote? <laughs> How many of you know what a keynote is? Musicians that know, it's a musical term. And when you're playing music, it's in a key. And the root note, the bass note, the foundational note is the key note for that piece of music. The entire piece of music will come down to this one note that is the, the root of it all. And so I talked to Mr. Google the other day, looked up keynote, and a speaker is a person who sets out the central theme of a conference. And then I had to say, well, what is the central theme of this conference? And I'm supposed to set that out. <laughs> and some people say the purpose of a keynote speaker is to motivate people. So I was thinking about how I could motivate you all on the central theme of the conference. And I really couldn't come up with a way that I could motivate you, nor do I really want to, because I hope that God by His Spirit will motivate us as a body, and that whatever response you have is not dependent upon my ability to get you fired up or whatever. Um, let me see if I can do this. I was a thinking that I would talk like a southern preacher. <laughs> but I won't. <laughs> but it fires you up, doesn't it? Doesn't matter if I, what I say is true or not. It's just pretty exciting, you know, which is one of the root problems with American culture. <laughs> Actually, I should do a whole sermon like that. That would be, I think I woke my daughter up anyway. If all of the people who fell asleep while I was preaching were laid end to end, they would all be much more comfortable. <laughs> okay, so I talked to Stan, who's done many of these conferences. Stan, what is that? What is the central theme? And some of us might say, oh, it's a missions conference, or it's giving money to missions, or something like that. Uh, but what Stan said is this question, what can we do to advance the kingdom of God? That is really the central theme of our gathering. And this question is not addressed to the other people in the room. This question is addressed to God himself. That's what I like about the notes here uh, in your program. It says the faith promise is between you and God, not between you and St. James. What can we do to advance the kingdom of God. And that'll be inside these walls, or in the yard outside these walls, or in the community, or in Papua New Guinea, or in Romania, or wherever. Lord, what can we do? What would you have us do as your body, as members of your body? You're the head. Give us direction, please. What can we do to advance the kingdom of God?
Now, I want to remind you of something the scriptures teach us in the New Testament, that church leaders are given positions of authority. Leadership is one of the spiritual gifts that's mentioned in the book of Romans. And leaders are to govern diligently, the scriptures say. But the prophets and the teachers and the evangelists, apostles, they are given to the church to help the church do the work of God, to do the work of the church. So there's such a danger, especially in this culture, but it's getting globally, that we fall into a spectator mentality. Church members sit back, you're watching me. Those church people do church stuff, and we are consumers of a religious experience or something like that. So part of my role here, given this position of authority and accountability as I speak with you, is to encourage you and prepare you to do the work that God has for you, to do the work of the church. That's why we have this position. So let's guard ourselves against that encroaching consumerist spectator culture that comes in to the church. Today, I'll be speaking about a biblical perspective on giving. And the purpose of this talk is discipleship. It's not to motivate you to give money. It's to encourage you to listen for the voice of the Lord and submit to his leadership. So the purpose is discipleship. It's to encourage his people to walk with God and live by his teachings, sit at the feet of Jesus in our spirit, whatever way that is uh, lived out in your life. That's the purpose. That's the purpose of all of this. What can we do to advance the kingdom of God? Many years ago, a friend of mine who wrote extensively for Christianity Today was interviewing a group of uh, Christians called the Bruderhof. Some of you may have heard of them. It's a tightly knit Christian community. Uh, I think they're all over the world now. She was up in the Northeast somewhere interviewing them. So they share a lot in common. Their life is very tightly knit together as a Christian community. And she was asking them questions and was in a room, maybe 100 people, members of the church. She was asking them, how do you do, how do you share meals? How do you do child care? How do you do different things? And they were responding, giving her answers about how their community thought about these different things. So they were talking, and then she said to them, how do you know the will of God? And there was silence. And she thought she'd said something that was offensive to them because there was no response at all. Complete silence. And she said, you know, it felt like 10 minutes. It was probably a minute or less, but it's just it was dead silence. And then one of them said, you have asked a holy question, and we do not want to reply too quickly. She told me that story when I was a young believer in my late 20s. Underneath all of what's going on is, God, what is your will? Do we really want to know the will of God? That's a question. But we're asking this question now as a result of all the meetings and everything and all through our lives. Lord, what is your will? And that is a holy question. That is a really serious question. And often when I'm talking with people that are in ministry or people struggling with things and 
they're trying to discern or have wisdom, down at the very bottom is that question. What is the will of God? And that's why we need teachers in the church. Good teachers, dependable teachers. So this is the question we're asking. What is the will of God? And I'm going to talk a little bit about one aspect of the will of God, a biblical perspective on how to handle finances in terms of giving. I have to give credit to David Pawson, a British Bible teacher. He's been very influential to me. I encourage you to go listen to his teachings on lots of things. He's super good. John Wesley. Anybody know who John Wesley was? Anybody ever heard that name? <laughs> 10% looks like. Should I go through? <laughs> John Wesley was the founder of Methodism. John Wesley said about money, get all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I'm glad he didn't stop with the first part, get all you can. That would be a happy message for many people. <laughs> Save all you can, a little harder for people to grasp. Some people would like for him to have said, spend all you can. Actually, American culture is spend more than you can. John Wesley says, give all you can. Well, how can a man, how can a person get all that they can and not become covetous. The Bible is pretty clear. One of the Ten Commandments is don't covet. The Bible says in Colossians that covetousness is idolatry. So how can we get all we can and yet not become covetous? And the answer to that is to give all that you can. The Lord himself said, this is one of the Things that he said in his ministry on earth, he's quoted, but it's not in any of the Gospels. It's in, found in Acts chapter 20. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I put the word always in there. It is always more blessed to give than to receive. We're talking about a biblical perspective on giving. And this is one of the perspectives on giving that God reveals to his people. It is more blessed to give than to receive. That's countercultural. That is a perfect example of how the kingdom of God is completely different from the kingdom of this world. This world would say, you're blessed if you got a lot. And God says, oh, it's a lot more blessed. You'll be much more blessed. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's always that way. There have been times in my life when I had very, very little in the bank. There was one time we were in Russia. I checked our mission account and realized we had about, well, maybe less than a month's worth of support. And I was thinking, well, I guess I can go get a job at Home Depot in America. <laughs> the money runs out, what are you going to do? And the Lord reminded me, it's better to give than to receive. So when you have very little, it is better to give than to receive. And when you have a lot, more than you know what to do with, it is better to give than to receive. It's always better to give than to receive. This is an expression of the character of God who is very generous. As a matter of fact, he is so generous that we have a, a word for it, and it's called grace. Grace is when we receive what we don't deserve. 
grace of God is this giving, generous heart of God. And God's people are to be generous, and that's actually a mark of the people of God, to be generous. And the more we know God and love God, then the more generous I think we'll just naturally be. And I will say one thing about America that is recognized by people in other cultures that I've been in, that Americans are a generous people. For all of the trash that is exported by the United States, and there's a lot of garbage that goes out, I also say that Americans are a generous people. And um, the more generous we are in the way that we give, the Bible says we're going to receive back. When I moved over to Russia, a dear friend of mine who has a lot of businesses said that the, and I was used to buying and selling, I used to buy and sell houses and things like that. And he said, the kingdom of God is not about buying and selling, it's about receiving and giving. God's ways are not our ways. The Sea of Galilee has water flowing in and water flowing out, and it's healthy and it supports a lot of life. The Dead Sea has water flowing in, but no water flowing out, and it is dead. It supports no life. A person who receives and gives will be healthy, full of life. And a person who receives and doesn't give will just become crusty, hard-hearted, and will not support life. This is God's perspective, to give. He says, if we do well at giving, then we're going to get what we need. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That'll be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you give, it will be measured to you. If we're good at giving... We're going to do fine with the receiving. Just give, and we'll get whatever God wants us to have. Christianity is a religion of giving. And actually, Christ gave up everything. He became poor. He became nothing so that people would be saved. It's been said that Christianity is a personal religion and a purse and all religion. It's personal and purse and all. So, how are we to give? Scripturally, how are we to give? First one, what would you say is the first way that we should give? Scripturally. Joyfully. What was that? A tithing? Okay, yeah, we'll look at that too. The first way is cheerfully. There was a family, a young family sitting in church, and they wanted to teach their little boy about giving. So they gave him a penny and a dime. And they said to him, when the offering plate comes by, you can put in either the penny or the dime, whichever you want, you can put that in. So the offering plate came by, and he put in the penny. And after church, his parents talked to him and said, why did you put in the penny and not the dime? And he said, well, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, and I was much more cheerful giving the penny. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, um, let's avoid, well, I don't know, the foolishness of childhood, I guess, right? Cheerfully. What does it mean to give? God wants us to give cheerfully. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. That's in the scripture. Gladly, willingly, happily, eagerly. In the Old Testament, it's called the free will offering. It's not under compulsion. You just give freely. And that's the way the Lord wants us to give, is cheerfully. And I believe that is in the third bullet point here. If God provides, you will fulfill your commitment by cheerfully giving it. Amen. Gladly, freely, happily. Number two, how does he want us to give? Generously. I've already talked about that. And to the Lord, it is not the size of the gift that really counts to him. 
It's the sacrifice that's involved. If you remember, there was the widow who gave just a little bit. Jesus put himself where he could see the donations happening, and he watched, and she put in just a little. And he said, she gave more than everybody else because she gave all that she had. That's God's perspective. I visited a church, I won't mention in what country, and uh, was invited to speak, sitting down in the front row. And it's one of these churches where the pastor has grown up with the idea that in order to be a successful pastor, you have to have a big church and you have to, you know, it's just it was performance. A lot of it was performance. And all through the service, uh, this was not in the United States, they had opportunities to give different offerings for different things. And they would have a basket down front. So if you were going to go give, you had to walk down front, put your money in the basket. And he um, <clears throat> was always the first one up to the basket whenever there was some opportunity to gift. I was sitting right next to him. And he would reach in his pocket, pull out an empty hand, walk up, drop that empty hand in, and look like he's putting money in the offering. Isn't that something? So, I only mention it because people play games. And Jesus puts himself where he can see what people are giving. And he thought that he was... I don't know, doing it to show off, I guess, or make people, whatever. And the Lord sees that. I saw it. The Lord watches us. He knows our hearts, and he wants us to give generously. He says, if you give generously, you're going to receive back. That's the way the kingdom is. That's like the fabric of creation. The widow gave all that she had, and from God's perspective, it's not what it buys, it's what it costs. Also, secretly, the Lord said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Other way around, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's a little confusing. That's an example of how Jesus says something and makes everybody go, huh? You've got to think about it. Well, how do you do that? Just don't keep reminding yourself about it. You just forget your giving and you move on. And do it in a way so that nobody else is watching and applauding your giving. Uh, we mentioned tithing. Scripturally, we're to give proportionally as the Lord has prospered us. We're not under the Mosaic Law, but I will say that the tithe is a wonderful floor, but not the ceiling. Even in the Old Testament, the Jews actually had two tithes. They gave about 25% of their income when you add up all of the different compulsory gifts that were necessary to fulfill the law. So the danger with the tithe is that you can think, well, 10% is God's, but 90% is mine. I can do with that what I want. And under the new covenant, as the pastor was saying, it's all his. Everything is his. You know, your skin is not your own. That was given to you by God. Everything that we have is his. So we should give proportionately. It's good to think that way. And pray and see, Lord, what is the proportion? I know, I've heard stories of people that give away 90%. And they're so wealthy, they know they can live on 10%. They give away the rest. So let's keep that in mind. I, I would never want to limit you to 10%. That'd be terrible. God may say, I want you to give away 50% right now. I say, okay. So we've got to hear his voice. But we should give proportionately. We should give regularly. Not when motivated by a speaker. I've been in those services where they'll just keep calling for offerings until they've got enough money to look at, right? I don't like it when a speaker forces me to respond in some way. It's like when they say amen, and you're supposed to say amen. Amen? I didn't catch you. 
Too bad. <laughs> We're to give regularly. It's a matter of the will. It's not a matter of the emotions. We're to give regularly. Scripturally, we're to give widely to the church, to the community, to the lost, which is missions and evangelism, to the poor, the people around us. We've heard about all that. That's one of the beauties of this fellowship is this church gives widely. And we're to give lovingly. Don't give money and not yourself. As I was preparing in here, just writing some notes down, a member of the church came in and she had had some conversations and she was weeping over the hardship of the people that are in need. And so she's giving of her time and her finances, but she's also got her heart involved. And scripturally, God is all about relationships. Shame on us if we throw money at something and then just completely walk away from it. That's also teaching the recipients that it's all about money, and it's not in the kingdom. It's about relationships that he's establishing the Bible says he sets us together like living stones. Who are the living stones around you? Who are the people that you're talking to? What are those relationships that God is building? And let's honor those in every way, not just financial gifts or things like that, but everything, to give ourselves. We should give obediently. I, I got great cheers when I shared this in Congo. They don't have bank accounts. They have mobile money accounts on their cell phones, and so they just transfer money. And, yeah. They call them M-Peso, mobile money, M-Peso. I said, God has many M-Peso accounts, and yours is one of them. And they cheered, like, oh, the revelation that all the money in all of those bank accounts is his money. All of creation is his. So we should give obediently. If he wants to move some of his money out of my account into another one of his accounts that's held by somebody else, that's up to him. So we need to be obedient in that. If he wants to move a little out of your account into some other account, okay, fine, absolutely. We're stewards of what he gives us. We just hold it in trust. Uh, this morning, as we were in Sunday school, Tommy shared a scripture that just lines up with everything. And this is why I was so encouraged by what Tommy shared. It's a scripture that's been real meaningful to him. And it's in Psalm 67. And as soon as he shared it, I thought, well, I can see God speaking. And here's Tommy sharing something that he's prepared. And I know what I've been thinking about. And I know what I've heard shared up here. And say, yeah, amen, God. You're speaking to your people. So let me share this with you. Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all the nations. Tommy, where are you? Thank you for sharing that. Amen. There's a purpose in the blessings of God, and that is so that he'll be glorified. The resources that he gives us, all the different kinds of resources, not just money by any means, all of the gifts that he gives to the church are so that people would know him and be saved from this bondage of the fear of death and be set free and brought from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. Such great joy and freedom knowing that there is one God who is a father, he's personal, and he's loving. He's loving. 
And he loves us so much that he makes a way to come out of the filth and stand on firm ground and boldly come before the throne. I mean, it's beautiful. It's a lovely thing. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you. Thank you so much that you reveal yourself and you make things clear to us. God, thank you. And Father, now I pray over this congregation. Lord God, please be gracious to St. James. Please, God, bless St. James. Lord, please make your face to shine upon everyone that's in this room so that your ways may be known on the earth, God, and so that your salvation will come to all the nations. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.